You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Good morning. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hahn. Are they setting people up for this unrealistic expectation that 2023, they're suddenly going to use that $100 million in cap space and all this draft capital they have? Voila! Playoff contender. And Dan Weeder. And you think suddenly that there are going to be 40 new players that are all difference makers. I just don't know what fantasy land that is. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm David Haw, along with Dan Wiederer. Hope that you enjoyed your weekend more than the Bears did. 35 to 13 losers to the Bills. Eighth straight loss. First time they have they haven't won a game since October 24th. I mean, it's it's getting ridiculous. But uh, on the bright side, they are now within a half game of the Houston Texans. Uh, they can possibly get the number one overall selection. We will talk about all of that. On this podcast, we hope that everyone had a great holiday weekend. We did not give you our instant reaction. Saturday night, it was Christmas Eve, and uh, we understand that everyone was probably doing other things. So, Dan, after being at Hallis Hall, after being at Soldier Field, and after listening to Matt Eberflus on two days after the Bears' eighth straight loss that dropped them to three and twelve. What are your overall impressions? Yeah, no, I just think this is a team that is what it is right now, and there's not much that we can do about it. And we're just going to have to wait and see where things go. I'll get to a couple of tweets I sent out on Monday morning that caused quite a stir, uh, just to to kind of get your take and, and your perspective on some of it. Uh, I did think it was notable on Monday afternoon to hear Matt Eberflus talk about, from his perspective as a coach leading this Bears team, the value in succeeding down the stretch of the season, particularly trying to win one of these last two games, division games against the Lions and the Vikings left on the schedule. And to hear Matt talk about the need for this team to figure out ways to meet the moment. And I think his word was game deciding execution, right? In the, in the game deciding moments, ha- having a team that understands how to execute and, and, and get over the hump. And that is meaningful to him as the head coach of the Chicago Bears. It was interesting to hear those sentiments come from his mouth. Uh, they echo some of the things that we've been saying for a while. Uh, and we'll just see what happens here with, with two games left. Again, I think we're all sort of uh, at the stage now where the faster that that locker room door closes behind us on January 9th, the better, because this season has just kind of become an exercise in chasing your tail. Before we get to the opening drive, I think it bears repeating and reinforcing what Matt Eberflus did say exactly when asked about the possibility of shutting down Justin Fields, something that got a lot of attention. <laughs> I was on the air Monday morning uh, on the Mullion Haw show, and for four hours, people debated, texted, called, and, and and shared their opinions that if they were – I don't want to say that it was a consensus, but I heard from a lot of people in the fan base that thought that would be the wise choice to go. Shut him down because he got foot stepped on, because he has uh, you know aggravated the shoulder injury and all these things if you ex- expose him to harm's way. Had one caller ask the question, what happens if he tears his ACL in the final two games? Well, I understand – there's risk involved. It is football. But Matt Eberflus, who understands 
and is better than we do and is the head coach said what when asked that possibility flatly dan he said basically absolutely not were his quoted words absolutely not were his words and why because he sees value in a young quarterback at this stage of development gaining experiences he sees value in a, a player like justin fields seeing two division opponents on the way out the door and trying to use those as barometers to see how much progress he made he played better in game two against the packers than he did in game one against the packers now you get a second chance at the lions a second chance at the vikings this passing offense needs to make strides i think that there is a misperception of what justin fields has the potential to be versus what he is now and the only way you get to the potential of what you ultimately can be is by making growth and and, and overseeing your development and i get it justin had his foot stepped on on the last pass attempt that he threw on saturday against the bills outside of the pocket trying to make something happen and, and almost threw a pick and got his foot stepped on shoulders bothering him he's gotten through that but there is so much to gain from Gaining experience. I get it. I mean, but but this is, goes back to, to what you've been saying and uncomfortable with really since October, this this lost season and then just losing sight of what is actually supposed to be being done here and, and shutting down your franchise quarterback because of fear is just an admission that you're just kind of lost and, and you don't know where you're going. A lot to get to in that. A lot to get to this week. Let's get going with our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the opening drive. All right, Dan, going back to Saturday, nine degrees of kickoff, nine <laughs> below wind chill. I, it was an unpleasant experience uh, for everyone involved. Probably was uh, fun to go through if you are a fan and you're a shirtless guy and you got on television <laughs> and you can tell your kids one day that you were there the day that the Bears bottomed out. But I, uh, I don't know how – Many, many takeaways there really were to to get from the game itself. 35 to 13, the Bears were competitive uh, for the first half. They got had a halftime lead, and then the Bills woke up. They were in that game because Josh Allen kind of let them stay in that game. But the, to me, the overriding takeaway was the talent disparity between a Super Bowl contender and one of the worst teams in the league. Well, David, when I watched it back on Monday morning, it was – more clear to me that the bills came to town with like their C plus offensive effort, maybe, maybe C C plus somewhere in that range. And they rolled up 429 yards and won by 22 points. Right. And so it's a clear tell of obviously the bears were shorthanded. They, they shut down another couple defenders uh, on Friday with Jalen Johnson and Kendall Vildor going to injured reserve. And, and they're just trying to make the best of what they have left on the playing field. But the fact that the bills could do just about whatever they wanted in the second half was telling to me because you had uh, running backs going for long touchdown runs without being touched you had the bears dominated on both lines of scrimmage offensively and defensively you had uh, a team and we'll get into this at, at greater length in our qb1 segment in the bears that that couldn't get anything going offensively after their opening drive of the game only managed six points after the the first drive of the game and it was in large part because the bills made schematic adjustments and decision to make sure that justin fields the runner wouldn't beat them and he didn't. And then they didn't. And so there are things to unpack in there. Uh, while the result was predictable, while the result wasn't surprising, um, it, there, there, there are some things within that game that, that are illuminating if, if you look closely. On my list of concerns, uh, or at least the weaknesses that were exposed, the running defense, again, topped the list. 254 rushing yards by the Bills. The worst yeah. showing against the run at home since 2007. The Bears have backups replacing backups. I get it. In the secondary, uh, I felt like they had three rookies at cornerback, which you, if you do that and they're all kind of in backup roles, except for Kyler Gordon, you're going to have some problems. Jaquan Brisker did not have a good day. He's had a solid season, but he's one of those guys that on one of those 31-yard touchdown runs by Devin Singletary did not sell out and was not in the right position and, and the position you're used to seeing him in. So run defense, number one, to me was a big problem. The offensive line was a mess. Larry Borum was exposed at left guard. You thought that was an opportunity for him. I don't think he passed that test. And then just overall, you just look at uh, the execution and the lack of a downfield passing game with wide receivers who are just not getting open. Yeah. It's all related. 
Yeah, well, and the full context is is going to be important to this one, just given the conditions out there on on Saturday afternoon. And so, um, you do give the Bears a little bit of wiggle room and a little bit of, of leniency, given the the fact that the passing game couldn't get going because the wind was a disaster. The cold was, you know, arctic and extreme. Uh, and you even see it on Cairo Santos's first point after touchdown attempt, where the snap comes and poor Trent Gill's got a, you know, like a catcher trying to catch a a wild pitch, get out there, grab it, get it down, and Cairo. Santos makes that kick. Uh, there's more on the kicker in a little bit as well, but um, you know, so so you, you you give them a little bit of wiggle room. But I think the the concern is is that if Justin Fields doesn't make rapid and marked growth as a passer within the Bears' passing offense, even when they get him upgraded talent on the offensive line and receiving core. This league is full of of really good coaches and really gifted athletes who are going to understand that if you're a one man gang. And, and the only thing they have to do to stop you is take away your, your threats as a runner, you're in big trouble. And and so Saturday was just a, you know, not a warning of that, but it was at least a, a you know, I don't know what you'd call it, but it was just a, a show that you better have more in your toolbox as an offense. And that's on Justin, it's on Luke Getze, it's on Ryan Poles, it's on Matt Eberflus, it's on everyone to collectively get the pieces together that can bring together a balanced, versatile, you know, complete offense so that you don't have to rely on a 50-yard scramble every week in order to have offensive success. It was a grim reminder, yeah, of how far you have to go, I feel like, because the Bills are a team that you can envision playing for the AFC Championship, getting to the Super Bowl, and by the they were in a game that they basically controlled, but you, it wasn't really reflected. The, the score ended up, I think, more, more indicative of the kind of game it was. Yeah. They were eight points down, one possession with nine minutes to go. And then the Bulls pulled the bull. The Bills pulled away. I want to ask you this before we get into our game balls. So Leslie Frazier, a guy that you know well, uh, yeah. defensive coordinator, is getting a lot of credit for the way that they defended Justin Fields. And I don't know. In talking to Dave uh, Wanstead on the radio and just talking to other people and watching it again, I essentially think that they did was they, their defensive ends were just smart and disciplined. They were uh, they were committed to containing Justin Fields in a way that was uh, just responsible and you, you build a pocket, the four, three, the, the cover two, the shell that you create, the umbrella, however you want to describe it is very safe. And as, as you, you, you concede certain things, but what the defensive ends in this defense did on while Oliver was blowing it up inside, they were able to contain Justin Fields and not let him get outside to the edge and not make one guy miss and everything be disruptive. How, how did you see it unfold? And, and what was your best understanding of why it, they were as successful as they were in limiting Justin Fields to 11 yards on seven carries? So we can talk about a couple of things here. And, and, and one of them is what you just talked about. Look, if you were going to defend the Bears uh, read option game, you're going to want your, uh, you know, we saw the Falcons earlier in the year deplo- deploy the, the mesh charge approach and, and, and basically use something in their toolbox to make sure that Justin Fields handed the ball off and didn't get to the edge. The, the, the Bills use a whole different approach by keeping their defensive ends out wide and trying to, to limit things there. They also use spies, um, you know, both up front and on the back end of the defense to just make sure they had eyes on Justin Fields at all times. This is going to be a strategy that opposing defenses can lean on until the Bears have someone else that can be a weapon that can make them pay for that. Now, uh, again, we can get into some of this later. The Justin Fields' first touchdown pass in the opening drive to Dante Pettis is a prime example of what happens when you're such a threat as a runner because the nickel cornerback never took his eyes off the quarterback and Dante Pettis ran uncovered to the back corner of the end zone and it was a, a pitch and catch that is you know schoolyard. You're going to complete it every time for a touchdown and that's that's where Justin's explosiveness as a runner now has bought the Bears advantages uh, offensively that they can utilize. I'm glad you bring up Leslie because I've said for a long time that I would love to see him get a head coaching job somewhere that has at some point, a quarterback in place. His time in Minnesota was plagued by an organization that couldn't get that position right. And, and a guy who is really good as a motivator, really good as an X's and O strategizer, uh, failed there. And so it's going to be really interesting. He interviewed for a, a handful of jobs last offseason, including the Bears job. And this offseason cycle, you figure he's going to get a, a few more looks from around the league. And it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes. Obviously, an 85 Bear, right, who was very meaningful to that defense and the way they played, and he understands the game, and it would be really cool to see what he could do with an opportunity. 
We digress, but curious because of your background covering the Vikings and knowing Leslie as you do, did he overlap with George Payton in Denver? They don't necessarily have a quarterback. They have one they're stuck with, but Russell Wilson is the guy. And now that they made the big move of getting rid of Nathaniel Hackett, I wonder if Leslie Frazier's name will come up because what Denver needs is almost what they got rid of. Vic Fangio was not the most dynamic head coach, but he did provide a measure of stability. He was somebody who was a football coach, was a head coach in in charge of keeping the the train on the tracks, and it it derailed this season badly (laughs) under Nathaniel Hackett. I wonder if Leslie Frazier's name surfaces as a possibility in Denver. It could. I, I don't think that's going to be the optimal fit. I, you know, George Payton and Leslie did overlap in, in Minnesota for his entire time as the head coach there. Um, I think they would probably go in a new direction. It's going to be interesting to see what that new ownership group of the Broncos does with George Payton at year's end as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and there's no no certainty there. This is a that's a fascinating situation. I was watching that game with family on, on Christmas Day at, at the, the, the living room at my mother's house. And, and I just said, you know, like with five minutes to go in the first half, I said, they may not let Nathaniel actually get on the plane after this. This is one of those high profile losses that just opens up the trap door under you. And sorry, thanks for stopping by, but this job isn't for you. And it turns out that way on Monday. So again, we digress, but uh, that's a, a, another indication for the bears. You say, okay, well, at least we didn't make a, a mistake that colossal, <laughs> yeah, right? I right, mean, Nathaniel right. Hackett was one of the, the candidates they interviewed for their head coaching position. And when you talk to people last winter, there was great enthusiasm about what his energy and and teaching style could do for a young quarterback. What Nathaniel Hackett showed in Denver is there's a lot more to the head coaching job. And if you're not prepared for game management and situations and the ability to just get your arms around everything, it can get away from you in a hurry. And clearly that happened to the Broncos. I don't think he had a great day, but I maintain that the Bears got the right Packers assistant coach when they hired Luke <laughs> Getze and they stayed away from Nathaniel Hackett. All right, back to the Bears and Bills. Let's give out our game balls. I don't know if there's anybody that jumps out at you, Dan, but if you had to give out a game ball from Saturday's 35 to 13 loss, who'd you give it to? Well, I'm going to give you two, uh, and then you're going to have to scrounge for the third. Uh, but I'm going to give you Kyler Gordon first because of the, the, the ability to take the ball away in consecutive weeks and the ability to continue to show growth uh, in his rookie season that tells you, okay, we are trying to identify building block pieces, guys that can be um, – game-changing playmakers on a team that eventually will want to contend for a playoff spot. Kyler Gordon is that. And the, the, the interception in the first half against Josh Allen is just great awareness where, you know, they're playing a coverage when the tight end goes across the field, Kyler Gordon passes him off and Josh Allen doesn't recognize that he's retreating and, and throws a ball that he thinks is, is to a, a receiver who's got leverage. <laughs> and Kyler Gordon just retreats on the play and, and, and goes up and shows his ball skills. I think as much as anything, he gets the game ball for his ball skills and picking that pass off. Again, two weeks in a row of that, you're moving in the right direction when you've got a, a talent in the headliner of your draft class to take the ball away. I'm also going to give you Matt Adams. And just for the sheer fact that the fumble that he forced was the hits principle personified. It's teaching tape in terms of getting to the ball carrier and then getting a fist on the football and knocking that thing out and getting a takeaway that Elijah Hicks ended up recovering on the ground. And so it's just an important thing down the stretch of the season for Matt Eberflus to have guys' attention enough to continue to execute the things he's been preaching. Matt Eberflus didn't give us an exact number, but said after the game, on Saturday that there was a goal that the Bears set for their last four games. Well, they've got six takeaways in their last two games. I would imagine if I was guessing that they maybe set a a goal of 10 takeaways for the last four games, they got six of them in the last two. Let's see what they can do against the Lions and the Vikings. Only getting three points out of those three takeaways. That was the disappointing part. The fact that they created them is a good one. Those are good ones. I'm going to be the guy that is always thinking of the kicker, always <laughs> going in that direction because I am uh, sympathetic to what they go through. Uh, Cairo Santos, the Bears scored 13 points. He was responsible for seven of them. And I think that when you look at what he has been through, and last week there was a seminar basically citywide <laughs> on Cairo Santos' mental state and whether or not it was physical and mental and don't talk about this and do talk about that. He kicked a 35-yarder, he kicked a 37-yarder, and he kicked the PAT. And he did it on a day where the conditions were as bad as they're going to get. The ground was like concrete. The temperature was distracting and the winds were swirling. So I think that Cairo Santos came back in a big way. And for that, he gets my game ball. So 
Tyler Bass would echo your sentiments because Tyler Bass, who's one of the better kickers in the league, missed two kicks and just noted after the game that it was really, really difficult to judge anything out there on that field. There's a point pregame, David, where we're sitting up in the press box and Big Z and I are looking at the, the, the goalposts in the south end zone and the flags are pointing due north. And then we look to the north end zone and the flags in the north end zone are pointing due south. And then we look at the American flag above the stadium and it's blowing directly to the lake. And you're like, okay, good luck anyone trying to judge this wind because you look in three different places of the stadium right now and it's blowing in three different directions. <laughs> and so so good luck being a kicker. And, and to your point, we saw it on a Sam Mustafer snap that got away. Yeah. We saw it on a Patrick Scale snap that didn't get away. We saw it on a couple Josh Allen passes that fluttered. The football was impossible to track. And, and so again, for, for Cairo to, to be dealing with what he was dealing with, come in and make three kicks is no small thing. All right, so let's get to our three-word reviews. We get back to you solicited some post-game good idea, and you've got some that you want to share before we share our own, if you were able to come up with your own, because some of the ones that we got uh, on on Twitter, at Take the North Pod, pretty good. I, you know, this is, uh, I got to give uh, old colleague Rich Campbell credit for introducing this because you get some creativity, you get some wit, you get some good stuff when you solicit these. And so here's a a handful of the ones that I liked from Saturday evening. Mike White at at I am Mike White gave us the uh, festive ho ho dough. (laughs) 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 Which which I loved. Uh, Homer Simpson. Similar theme from Matt M, who gave us ho-ho-hum, which I think was also appropriate for this ho-hum team and this ho-hum season. Uh, we go to at Grignock, gave us Tanky McTank-Tank, which I know you love. You know I love this. that one. <laughs> Tanky McTank-Tank, okay. All we're doing is tanking. Uh, Eric Hansen gave us Fields Legs Matter which is something that we just talked about a minute ago and we'll talk about more in a bit in terms of the the, the need to use that as a weapon and now the need to find something uh, that, that complements that offensively. Uh, at Audio Jack, Jock, Jack or Jock? At Audio Jack, not sure, uh, gave us almost the offseason. Talked yeah. about that a minute ago. Okay. I can't wait for the offseason for I about know. 15 reasons. Two more games. Uh, but I think that that's there. Um at Zach Fergus or at Zferg ninety four, Zach Ferguson gave us hurt so good, which I think is a uh, a note on those who are enjoying the losing because of what it means for their draft status. Also, and then, uh, let, let, you cannot overlook the reference to John Cougar Mellencamp, probably <laughs> that I am. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I thought you were going to sing it for us, yeah. right? No, no, I don't think we'll do that. No, hurt so good. <laughs> there you go. Come on, baby, make it. All right, and then our last one comes you from can at that out. <laughs> <laughs> Our last one comes from at tank one three nine one seven, and he says future looks bright. Okay, if he says so. Hey. <laughs> yeah. So that leads me naturally to mine, okay. which was close to what? This, <laughs> close this, to what? Question this mark. theory that the Bears are close. I will get into more of this in a minute. I, I I don't know what they're close to, and I don't know why the future is looking so bright to so many people. But uh, yours? Okay, mine would be coldest reality yet love it coldest reality yet certainly in in the way of the temperature nine degrees nine below wind chill i think it got down to 12 below wind chill according to some reports yeah and just the reality that yeah these are the bills this is what a super bowl team looks like this is what happens when they wake up from going through the motions in the first half and this is what you are look in the mirror and Boy, you are not one offseason away, maybe two offseasons away from being the team that is opposite you on the sidelines. So that was, to me, the eighth loss in a row, the coldest reality yet. I love it. I love it. And and listen, it's not going to be as cold in Detroit. I'm going to go spend New Year's Day in, in, in New Year's Day in an indoor stadium at Ford Field, uh, and hopefully the Bears will will warm up in some regards there against a, a Lions team that's been hot recently, but came back down to earth this week, and then obviously uh, you know has one of the worst defenses in the league, which should be a, a get well remedy. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, 
we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. All right, let's get into our QB1 segment. Dan, Justin Fields did not have a day that he wanted to have on the ground. Certainly, he came in with 1,000 yards. He added 11 to that, so now he's still 196 away from breaking Lamar Jackson's single-season rushing record for quarterbacks. Not his day. In terms of a defining moment, though, what was Justin Fields' defining moment in your mind? Well, this is for Justin Fields and the entire offense. It's the fourth quarter. It's early on in the fourth quarter. It's uh, 21 to 10, and you have just had a first down inside the red zone overturned on replay review to give the Bills the ball. Two plays later, Josh Allen gives you the ball back with an awful throw to James Cook over the middle that Nick Morrow intercepts and gives you possession inside the red zone at the 18-yard line. This is when we talk about game-deciding execution. This is what Matt Eberflus is asking for it's 21 to 10 a good team a team that's building a team that is on its way to something puts that ball in the end zone makes it 21 to 17 and puts all the pressure on the buffalo bills to respond the bears four plays one yard field goal drive Cairo Santos kicks it. It starts with a swing pass to Khalil Herbert that goes for a loss of two. David Montgomery gets stuffed for no gain. And on third and long, Justin Fields drops back, doesn't see what he likes, gets outside the pocket, and there's four Bills that have him hemmed in. He scrambles. It's a tuck and run. He only gets three yards, and they have to kick a field goal. And so it's just that 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 inability to seize the moment. Again, you mentioned it earlier. They only got three points off of those three takeaways. They also didn't score, or, uh, or maybe they settled for a field goal. There was a, a possession in the first half when they got the ball at the Bills 38 after a good defensive uh, a sequence and, and a, a punt return from Dante Pettis and couldn't squeeze much out of it. The last two weeks, six takeaways by the defense. It's what you beg for as an offense building, and the Bears have only gotten 10 points out of it. Not going to get it done. Troubling, bothersome, whatever word you want to attach to it. I don't think there was maybe one defining moment. I think there were a lot of nondescript moments that contributed to a very meh day. And it was unsatisfying for people looking for Justin Fields to provide that electricity that he typically does provide. That's not through uh, always up to him. There's so many other factors that conspire to whether or not he has one of those moments or one of those games. So to me, almost the defining moment was one that represented just how difficult the challenge was with the elements and just how out of sync this offense looked at times to me. So I'm going to choose one where I don't even know that Justin Fields had much to do with it, but it was Sam Mustafer's shotgun snap that was awry and off course knocked off course by the wind i'm told by patrick manley who testified this post game when we were talking about it i said patrick who knows a little bit something about long snapping (laughs) and the weather conditions so patrick could it possibly be the case where a shotgun snack was knocked off course by the wind yes absolutely true yeah so that was almost a defining moment because it showed just how challenging everything was how out of sync the offense was and that was a lost play and a lost day in a lost season. David, you know how Patrick knows that because in that infamous wind game against the 49ers, he missed the snap. Uh, And I believe it's the only missed snap in his entire career, most games played by any bear in history. And he still beats himself up over that one missed snap in wind conditions that were taking kicks and blowing him on the Lakeshore Drive. And so that is the, uh, the, the true sign of a perfectionist. I've always loved talking to Patrick about that given sequence just because of how hard he is on himself and how unforgiving he is with himself in, in a moment where you're like, okay, like that's why you did play more games than any bear in history because you held yourself to a standard that was that elevated. So that's interesting to, to, to hear that he had that to offer after the game. I'm sure that he did not bring that up because he had repressed the memory. You have just now reopened. So I'm sure he thanks you very much for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that day was a little bit warmer. 
I think it, yeah, it was the Niners. That <laughs> might have been a Halloween or October-ish day. All right, on the bright side for Justin Fields. So it's the it's the longest pass of the day, without question to me. And it's in in that in those conditions, the Bears come out in a a unique personnel grouping that they've got three tight ends and Bayless Jones is the only receiver on the field. And it's essentially a play action shot play to give Bayless Jones the opportunity to show that he's fast and can catch a football, right? That's one of the reasons you drafted him. And so they design this play for him. They turn him loose and he, and he, and he beats the defense. He's got two defensive backs. He's got a corner that he beats inside. And then he, he, he gets to the ball in front of a retreating DB and Justin Fields puts on a, a throw through the wind, whistling through the the winter air and and, and Vales Jones makes a sliding catch it goes for 44 yards and it's a big moment for a quarterback who's trying to to continue to come along in that regard and a bigger moment for a young receiver who has just been under an avalanche of struggle for months and him being able to make that play was not it's not a breakthrough it's not it doesn't make up for all the mistakes he's made previously but it's a a bit of feel-good energy the bad part of it david is that was 44 of the bears 88 yards in the second half half of it came on that play and that's all they had to, to offer but when you look at the way that ball was thrown and then the way that they just schemed up a play for a guy who's fast and justin said after the game i'm glad valus had a chance to, to finally show his speed show us more of that yeah, because I don't know that there was, were many uh, plays like that that are sort of uh, defining moments or bright spots because there was only 209 yards of offense. So yeah. you look at how limited the production was, it's pretty easy to find uh, a play that was on the bright side like that. The only question I have about that, and it was a nice play, Bayless Jones adjusted to the pass. I felt like he came down sure-handedly with the reception. Did Justin Fields mean to throw it that way? Was it like a golfer playing a drive (laughs) and he was playing the wind and he knew if he threw it left, it would veer right. And how did he play that? Or was that accidental or on purpose? But the bottom line is, as they say, it looks like a line drive in the box score because it was a 44-yard gain. And let's face it, nobody needed that one more than Valus Jones because I was asked this morning, a caller on on the Mullen Haw Show, do you trust Valus Jones now? I don't know if I'm there yet, but no. it did take a step in that direction. Yeah, no, it's it, like I say, it doesn't make up for everything. Right. Um, but, you know, you want to see positive moments rather than negative moments. It was there. Justin was asked post game if he felt like he had control over that pass because of the conditions you mentioned. And he was just deadpan, said, I had control. You know, that, like, that, never a doubt. And then he joked that before the play, he threw grass up in the air and was t- testing the win. He said that he was just kidding about that. But obviously, he, he knew enough to put the ball where his receiver could get it. And they were able to connect on that play. I believe uh, I have to double check this because I'm still working on my QB rewind for ChicagoTribune.com. But I think that was the 15th Justin Fields completion this year for at least 30 yards. So that that's signs of, uh, of an offense that can hit those big plays. I wish they would have gone downfield more. I know the conditions were bad, but I was I was screaming to myself or, and going on social media, like, throw the ball down the field, Luke Getzey. I don't know why they got so conservative. I don't know that they were – uh, something was taken away from them, but I, I would have liked to see them try more shots down the field. Yeah, well, like I say, th- this Sunday will be indoors, <laughs> and there will be no excuse right. about conditions, and we'll see what their game plan looks like and what their receiving core looks like, whether Chase Claypool will be back, and we'll see if they're able to, to get a few more of those deep shots. What was your uh-oh moment? Well, my uh-oh moment is just the combination of the lack of – splash plays that we saw from Justin Fields as a runner. When you're talking about a a quarterback who has just taken over the highlight reels week after week after week with his running ability, and he gets out on the first play of the game, David, and he he turns it into a seven-yard scramble and slide, and then for the rest of the day, he's got two scrambles for four yards and three designed quarterback runs that netted zero yards. Okay. And so that it's a, again, it's, it's not like warning bells. It's not like freak out time, but it's an indicator that if you're an opposing defense and you can take away Justin Fields, the runner, your chances of winning go up exponentially. And the bears are going to have to respond to that. They're going to have to find their counterpunch. They're going to have to find their answer because we saw it. Sean McDermott again said it was a great display of disciplined football by his defense of understanding exactly what their assignments were and the responsibilities were in keeping Justin Fields, the runner from beating them. And they succeeded. And, and uh, again, you know, you just talked about the, the lack of downfield passing attempts and the weather and all those things, but man, the bills really put forth an effort that tells you <laughs> you, you can quit quickly diffuse that that uh, that explosive uh, uh, playmaking ability if you just concentrate on one thing. 
Yeah, my oh moment came on his final pass of the day when he got his foot stepped on and created this uh, citywide panic over how <laughs> healthy he can stay in the final two games. And I just sensed that when you saw him not return and Nathan Peterman came in to mop up and, and look pretty good in doing so, that, uh-oh, here we go again. We're going to have this conversation for the final two games. Should they? Should he play? Should he not play? I think you get better at playing football by playing football. And I'm with Matt Eberflus, and I understand why he wants to lean into the improvement that can take place over the final two games for a quarterback that needs to show more in the passing game. Despite all of the other things that we can celebrate, that remains an area where he can get better at. And you get better at doing that by doing that. So there could be moments that await him. And so when he got stepped on, when he looked gingerly, and you saw after the game, what was to come of that? I thought to myself, uh-oh, here we go again. So that was my uh-oh moment. How about your key number? So it's an extension of what I talked about just a minute ago. It's 80. It's more than 100 yards below the season per game average that the Bears had in rushing yards. They rushed for only 80 yards. We had the seven rushes for 11 uh yards by Justin Fields that included that that Aaron snap by Sam Mustafer that ended up being a negative two yard rush for Justin Fields on the stat sheet David Montgomery went 16 carries for 62 yards okay day but really after the the big 28 yard run in the first quarter he was bottled up and Khalil Herbert in his return from a hip injury six carries for seven yards they got dominated up front by the Buffalo Bills and they never really established a run the way they've been establishing the run and once again once you take away a team's strength now you know, now they're they're on their way to 209 total yards for the day, which, by the way, was their second lowest output of the season, trailing or, or ahead of only the monsoon game output against the 49ers in week one. My key number was 119. That was the number of passing yards Justin Fields had. And you don't want to get caught up on, you know, explaining why and we can make excuses and there are valid explanations. But still, 119, this is a, a an offense that we felt like, had begun to turn a corner. And this was an offense that, dare I say, for a four-game stretch, which seemed like a very long time ago, was described as explosive. So when I see 119 yards passing, I think that that's not good enough regardless of the opponent. 119 yards passing is a good half for quarterbacks as elite as Justin Fields wants to be and can be one day, one day. So if you are accepting of the 119 yards passing, your standards aren't high enough. So I just think that when you look at the key number that comes away, you look at them all, the passer rating, the completions, and all this and that, even though it was a very cold day, historically bad at Soldier Field, 119 passing yards is not something you can feel good about. Baker Mayfield, 185 yards before halftime in his Christmas Day blowout of the Denver Broncos. The Bears now have been below 150 net passing yards 10 times in 15 games. Raise the bar. Raise the bar. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We have a lot to get to in our final segment, so instead of the two-minute drill, let's call it the four-minute drill. (laughs) The two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. Close enough. So, Dan, I appreciated what you had to put on the Twitter machine on Monday morning. I knew you were going to get some pushback, but I think the points are, are valid. I'll let you take it from there, but I think the overall theme was that this experience against the Buffalo Bills, which followed up a game against the Philadelphia Eagles, two straight weeks against two teams that you could envision playing each other in this year's Super Bowl underscored and emphasized just how far the Bears do have to go in spite of the fact that this season, if it was committed to finding your quarterback, congratulations, you did that. But now that you've answered that question, so many others look glaring 
and very difficult to address, this is going to take a while. Yeah. So a couple things. I'm going to read you uh, some thoughts from my my Twitter thread here in a second and get your reaction because it'll be good to have that discussion. But I also want to point out that this rationale that the bears aren't getting blown out that often is such a like weird high school lens on things, right? Like high school teams getting blown out often is something to be concerned about. NFL teams getting blown out often almost never happens. We all know how this league is set up. We all know how these games come down to close games in the fourth quarter. And it's the teams that have playmakers to finish things off that win at the highest level. And so this idea that, ah, oh, they're hanging in games is, is enough for me. I looked it up today because I had somebody come at me in the tw- Twitter thread and say that, you know, the bears are consistently covering the spread. So that means that they're outperforming expectations. Well, they're actually, they're five, nine and one against the spread this year. Hmm. And actually they have now lost four games by at least 20 points, which is more than either the 2015, 2016 John Fox led bears teams did. And so this idea that, that suddenly they're, they're at some acceptable level of, of competitiveness because they've only lost by 20 points, four times. It's, it's mind boggling to me. So now that segues me right into to some of what I tweeted on Monday morning that got the uh, expected blowback. And of course we can sound it out here, but I said the my first tweet I sent, sent out said, if you are watching the bears objectively, it's stunningly obvious how steep their climb back toward relevance will be. Would love to hear the counter argument to that. I said, at this point, the bears can't stop the run, can't rush the passer, struggle to protect their quarterback and have the league's worst passing attack. Their four game offensive eruption was five games ago. Now they need playmakers and quality depth across the board to be playing meaningful football in December, 2023, the bears will have to be almost perfect in their personal personnel acquisitions, see a surplus of key developmental breakthroughs and have supreme injury luck. At this point, most Bears optimism is justifiably centered around Justin Fields' playmaking ability, but then mostly furthered by imagination. See, that's interesting. I I think you got a lot there. And and not that you were inviting the kind of scrutiny you received or the pushback, but certainly if you put it in those terms, you're going to get it. Um, only because I do, I think it's, it's, uh, brutally honest. Um, here, here's the only thing I would not push back at, but, but but I think a couple key questions come to mind. Yeah. Number one, when you talk about the steep climb, you're exactly right. It is a steep climb back to relevance, respectability, playoff contention, wherever you want to place that bar. But I think that's the key question. Steep climb. How high are you going? How high do you feel like you need to go? to justify some of this hope that has surfaced this season because it is the NFL, and I always believe this. Now, when we can talk about the Bears being two off-seasons away from being at the level that they can compete with the Bills and the Eagles and prevent themselves from having four games of of four losses by at least 20 points, you've got to do that. But how high is is that destination point, that finish line? Because if the steep climb is to get to respectability in the playoffs. And I think that with a creative off season, with a, you know, catching lightning in the bottle with a coaching staff, that's dynamic. You might be in a position where you're more competitive in 2023. And that may be acceptable because that's better than being three and 12. If we're sitting here a year from now, and we're talking about a five win bears team in December, that's not good enough. That, that, that to me is not good enough. But I do think that if you're sitting there in December with you're one of these teams in the hunt, that's more realistic. And, Dan, I would say that might be more attainable depending on how successfully you navigate this offseason. How successfully you navigate this offseason with a surplus of draft picks and a lot of cap money. That's what everybody's really excited about. And that's why my last word and what I just read to you a minute ago was imagination because it's it's people imagining and envisioning what this team could look like. Brad Biggs pointed out that over the weekend, the Bears lost two of their uh, key contributors for 2023 and Elton Jenkins and Jack Conklin. Right. Two offensive linemen who people dreamed were going to be were going to be on the starting line in front of in front of Justin Fields. And they're suddenly re-signed well, by the teams they play for. OK, let, let, OK, 
<laughs> you open that door, so let me walk through it. How did we think these people were going to be members of the Bears teams? This was put out there. Imagination. Imagination. Fans with websites have imagination. This is what happens when we open the door that wide to, to entertain this notion that we want to believe things that may or may not be true. That's not reporting them. That is wishing for them. And you can wish for all these guys to come to the Bears in free agency, and you can have $100 million to spend, but it doesn't mean you're going to spend it wisely, and it doesn't mean that you're going to get people to take it. It doesn't even mean these guys are going to be available because the two guys that you mentioned aren't. Right, and they didn't even have a chance to have a contract discussion with them in February or March with their, with their camps. David, there's so much that goes into this with, with, with this idea that they're just going to go into a, a, a supermarket that has everything that they need, and they just got to pick off the shelves and then go to the register and use the self-checkout, and off you go into the parking lot with the team that can compete in 2023. You have to still go through the draft and free agency and get guys. And listen, like what I've been saying for weeks now is it's okay as a fan to entertain best case scenarios. But I, all I'm asking is that you also acknowledge worst case scenarios and find somewhere in the middle where you say, okay, this is probably more realistic. It's not the best case scenario. It's not the worst case scenario. What's realistic for them to get done? You talk to people around the league and they say the Bears could probably add a half dozen quality contributors this offseason. And that means guys that can be um, – difference-making contributors, most likely starters, to your next playoff team, whether that's 23, 24, 25, that's a pretty big number. And that's going to take everything going right to get a half dozen. And they need probably a dozen and a half at this point, particularly based on what a lot of people say on Twitter and saying, you know, you got to get rid of 70% of the roster and then you just you just start from scratch and you build a playoff contender. Twitter's not real life. I mean, let's let's let's. Sorry, I got to get off there. But, no, but I, but I, but I do I do think that that's an interesting number. A, a couple of thoughts come to mind. Number one, half dozen would to me suggest that you're going to get three instant contributors in the draft. Drafting where you are, you should, especially if you turn your high picks into multiple picks. You could get three contributors in the draft. They did last draft, and they should have the same kind of standard this draft. Secondly, that would leave three for free agency. That's probably a tall order in free agency. That's more than you would typically want to go into free agency to get or to buy. And yet I do think it's realistic that the Bears go into free agency with that in mind. What positions they are? Well, that determines on what's available, what's affordable, and how desperate you become. Um, as for the best and worst case scenarios, you're exactly right. You want to find somewhere in the middle. The problem, Dan, is that why what you're, what you're putting out there while fans and fans in the media want to push back at this is because they want to believe the best case scenario is more likely than the worst case scenario. When in fact, I think what your opinions are based on, not to speak for you, but you've been around here long enough to understand the bears have been closer to the worst case scenario than they have the best case. And so typically that will lead us to believe and inform our own opinions that, they're going to be more likely to follow that path than they are the other one because the other one just doesn't happen often enough. Right. And, 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 and look, they're going to be missteps along the way. There are going to be draft picks that, that fizzle and fade guys that uh, on draft weekend, people are talking about as being, you know, 10 year bears with, with, with incredible credentials that by the time it comes time to, to, to see whether they're in their fifth season with the team, you look around and go, whatever, to that guy right. how many times has that happened right you know ryan pace picked four times in a row in the top 10 and didn't get a single one of those guys to a second contract with the team so you, you know like there are going to be missteps along the way and you, you said something that i don't know it's it's dangerous territory but it's i think it's part of the the issue that we're running into within this season is it's the phrase fans in the media and it's it's folks that are are selling only the upper right corner of the photograph, right? And they photoshopped out all the mess and all the debris and everything else and, and say, look here, because this is this is the beautiful timeshare we're going to sell you. And then you get there and it's, you know, right next to a dumpster. And, it, and there, 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 there's a... a <laughs> and let me be perfectly clear here. Th th this is not said with any individual or group in mind. This is just a general response to the tone that is out there and the way the industry has changed, not just in Chicago. This isn't, Everywhere. This isn't just a, a Bears media, Bears town type of thing. You look around, every sport has it. Every city kind of is it has gone through it, especially ones that struggle to the extent that Chicago sports teams have. There, what, 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 objectivity 
is being misinterpreted as negativity. And maybe it will come off that way to some people, but they aren't the same thing. There's a very distinct, subtle difference between objectivity and negativity. And I think what's happened this year is we have seen that not everyone understands that. And that's okay. And that may sound like, you know, we are doing a different job or whatever, and we're judging people, but stop covering the coverage and stop evaluating the way that we're interpreting things. Because what it is, is that, you know, the bears can do this and the bears can get better, but there's a long way to go objectively speaking. So don't see things that aren't necessarily there. I also want to get into this later in the week because I've, I've pulled up some research. The bears lost their 12th game. On, on Saturday afternoon. And, and the idea that they can turn it around is different from the notion that they will turn it around. And there's all these, you know, everybody wants to tell you about the 2020 Bengals and all the, all the success stories of teams that, that flip the switch and turn around, but they never tell you about like the 2006 Raiders or like the 2018, uh, you, you know, I, I'd have to go find my list again, but you know, the, the Jaguars from 2012 and the, the number of teams that lose 12 games in a season and go on the next year to make the playoffs is half as many as the number of teams that lose 12 games in a season and lose at least 10 the following season as well. And so like, like when you're doing the math game, you say, no, I'm not telling you that it's impossible. I have never said that it's impossible for the bears to have a breakthrough season in 2023 and be one of these teams that flips the switch and gets in the playoffs. But I'm also telling you, it's very possible that they're six and 11 and seven and 10 next year. And, and, and that, that if you look at their roster as currently constructed and, and identify how many shrewd hit moves it's going to take to get themselves in position to win eight, nine or 10 games, you go, I don't know. I don't know if I can lean in that direction realistically because my brain tells me reasonably that it has a lower percentage, right? It's, is it impossible? No, but percentages say that the other thing is going to, going to happen. Remind me later in the week, because I want to pull up some of those numbers for you exactly to give you an indication of this is a 20 year sample size of teams. It's 97 teams that have finished with at least 12 losses from 2002 to 2021. And then what they've done the following year, because it'll, it will, it will boggle your mind to see how often it doesn't turn the corner. And then people only remember the times that it does look forward to that. And the last thought I have on this is that it's very conceivable to me that the bears could be in the six and seven victory range in 2023. And Justin Fields could still be a pro bowl quarterback. That doesn't have to be one yeah. related to the other. He could be a, a, a winning player on a losing team. He could realize his potential, maybe not as, you know, the winning aspect, and that would be the, the, the storyline and the narrative, and can he do this and that. But I do think it's conceivable that in year three of his NFL career, Justin Fields could take that step to become a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback, and yet the Bears could still be uh, in, in a double-digit loss kind of situation from a roster perspective didn't that's, that's not crazy didn't deshaun watson lead the nfl in passing yards for a 12 loss football team yeah i think so i, <laughs> yeah, I, I have to look right? it up, but i think you're right yeah that right. sounds familiar so 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 how, how much do you need to have going right around you as a a game-changing playmaking quarterback to even sniff success justin herbert's had three tremendous seasons i think he's got you know thirteen thousand plus passing yards in three seasons and he's still sitting on a team that's just trying to right. get its you know claws in the cliff to climb back into to the in the hunt graphics and, and, and hang around. The other part of this, we mentioned this a little bit ago, and I wanted to get your perspective on this because it was that, that week seven through week 10 surge where the Bears scored and scored and scored and scored, and they averaged 31 points per game for that four-game stretch, and everyone thought that this was the new normal, that this was here to stay. Explosive offense every week. The Bears can score with the best of them. They're one of the highest scoring teams in the NFL for this four-week span. Yada, yada. And then here we are, five games later, the last four Justin Fields starts, they've averaged 19 points per game. I get it. There's been attrition. Darnell Mooney's not here anymore. Chase Claypool's been hurt. The offensive line's reshuffling. They've played some different competition. But you can't also just sort of selectively choose a four-game sample size in a 17-game season and say, this is who we are going to be, while ignoring the other 12 starts that your your quarterback makes and the, the and the statistical outputs that come from those starts. And so, I, I like I, – I, I, I just can't stress it enough. You you know, David, you've been around this league long enough to understand what it means. And this goes back to your original question on, on what is relevant. So, uh, like, 
coming <laughs> coming out of the 2018 season, Steve Leventhal is a guy who kind of pops in and out of the beat. And he had written a book on the 2018 Bears, and it became kind of a, a laughing joke for Rich Camel and I because the title of the book was Return to Respectability. And we laughed about it because it was like, this is what they write books about when they're talking about the Chicago bears in the 21st century return to respectability. You know, we won a division crown and then lost in the first round of playoffs. And, but it's like, so relevance, you know, that's a word you brought up just a minute ago. What is relevance to me? Relevance is having a team that is capable of having three consecutive winning seasons, something the bears organization hasn't achieved since 1988. And so you can have these like wishes and like, Hey, we can be in the hunt graphic in December, 2023. Okay. Is that your goal? Is that your destination is to jump in the, in the hunt graphic? Are you trying to pursue championships? Are you trying to give yourself a bite at the apple every year where you're in the playoff hunt year after year, after year, after year, and you can have this enjoyable experience of, of going after championships because you've got a roster that can sustain success under those guidelines, under those benchmarks, this roster is so damn far from being able to, to put together uh, three consecutive winning seasons. And you're going to have to be really, really good in the next off season and the one after that and the one after that and the one after that to be one of those teams. And to do that, you have to be a draft-driven team. I don't think you can do that by relying on free agency each and every year. You, to sustain success, it has to start from within. And and maybe that's part of what this Bears season would represent. You've seen some growth in some young rookies, Braxton Jones, Jaquan Brisker, I think Kyler Gordon, you mentioned Josh Blackwell is a player. I think doesn't get a lot of attention, but I think he's a guy, Jack Sanborn. These are names that may be part of the team that when the bears do make it back to the playoffs, provided that does happen, but that sustained success, the beginning of relevance. I like the idea of having three consecutive years of, of competing, of winning and being that team. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good measuring stick. And I think a good way to gauge that. The other thing, so that brings us to the draft. When I talk about draft driven, we haven't talked about it. I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time on it, but now half game between the Houston Texans and the yeah. Chicago bears. There's a difference to me, Dan, in drafting number one overall and drafting number two overall, because I think one starts an auction. If you're drafting number one overall, number two, you could justify taking a, a player who is what they refer to as a generational talent and put in the middle of your defense or on the edge. And that'll be a debate that'll be ongoing. But I do think this, that it just underscores and it just reinforces what we're saying is that you have to almost have a perfect off season and it would begin with making those right decisions at the top of the draft. Yeah. Uh, well, but again, this all comes back to making the right decisions, whether you're drafting at two or seven or 13. I mean, the, the, the player that Bears fans are more excited about than any player they've been excited about in, in 15 years was drafted at number 11 overall when they went into the draft with the 21st pick. Right. right. So, so so it doesn't guarantee anything being up at the top. The, the, in that same draft, the, the New York Jets took Zach Wilson. Right. And I think we're seeing how that's working out for them right now. So you still have to make right decisions and celebrating like a lottery jackpot just because you got the, the, the pick is is it's just imprudent until you see what you actually do with the pick and, 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 and who the guys are that are making the pick and whether they can have have that that thought process. Again, we also talk about them only picking once in the top 50 because. Uh, you've given your, you know, pick that could be as high as number 32 overall, likely number 33 or somewhere in that range to the Pittsburgh Steelers for Chase Claypool, who's now dealing with a knee injury that's kept him out for two weeks. And, and you don't know if he's going to be a difference making part of your next playoff team. So, I, I mean, like I say, I go back to that word imagination and it requires some imagination. And I don't, I don't condemn fans for imagining and thinking like, how can we get this thing back on a more enjoyable plane for us? How can this become an experience that is like some other teams around the league experience on a regular basis? Go for it. Dream about that, but also just understand that you can acknowledge that there are other alternative realities that, uh, you know, or other alternative scenarios that can play out based on what happens all the time in this league. Before we get out of here, the Bears haven't had a number one overall pick since 1947. Do you remember who that was? Can't even come up with a guess. See, you need to read 10 thoughts. I did, and I did, and I already forgot it. Bob Fenimore, our guy Bob Fenimore, the old halfback from Oklahoma A&M, played safety. Ten games he lasted. And I don't even think that Mel Kuyper was around to break down that draft. That was 1947. 
and the number one overall selection, Chicago Bears. That was the last time they drafted first overall. I'll go get you a scouting report before uh, our later in the week podcast on on Bob Fenimore's pre-draft analysis. Oklahoma A&M. Is there still an <laughs> Oklahoma A&M? Did they merge with somebody? I don't All know. right. Anything else that we have overlooked, neglected, or fa- failed to address? No, uh, the Lions defense is terrible. We'll get into more of that later in the week. They just got absolutely run over by the Carolina Panthers on Saturday afternoon. And so if you're trying to get a get well remedy for the the Bears running game and and for the offense, it's a good time to be stopping through Detroit uh, for, for New Year's. And we will drop this on Tuesday morning. Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You also can watch us on the Odyssey's YouTube channel on 670 The Score's YouTube channel. We're getting a bigger audience, so go ahead and check us out. Give us some feedback. React. Throw things at your computer screen if you wish, but just make sure that you aim for Dan. He's on the right. I'm on the left. You can aim for both of us if you wish. David, I think that uh, we have one more podcast in the calendar year. Right of 2022, and I think our producer Adam Stadzinski told us the other day that we are about to 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 click past maybe 250 thousand downloads. That's okay. pretty cool to have cool. have that audience building. And so I just wanted to tell everyone out there that's that's listening and watching that we appreciate their loyalty and they appreciate we appreciate them uh, being patient with us, even though we tell them things that they may not want to hear sometimes. Listen, after a three and twelve start to this season, we definitely appreciate you showing as much interest as you have in a team that is capable and on its way to setting a franchise record for losses. Imagine, imagine, there's that imagination word again. Imagine when they're finally good, how many people will be flocking to their computers and downloading the Take the North podcast. You just gave me the idea for the title of the next Bears book, Finally Good. <laughs> finally Good. Okay, I'm still going to stick with <laughs> coldest reality yet. There you that's, go. That's chapter one of the season. All right, so we're going to wrap it up. We'll be back on Friday morning with another podcast, episode 40 on Friday morning. This is 39. It will drop on Tuesday morning. For Dan Wiederer, thank you for listening. I'm David Haw and Adam Sadzinski. Talk to you on Friday. Great talk. See you out there.